Hi friends and neighbors, um, welcome to 2021 and season 3 of Straightening the Record. As always, I am your host, Forrest Cochran. Um, I'm going to try and do some quick intros again going forward here. I'm um, going to do it long enough to give some info, but short enough not to bore you. The priority is always the conversation here. The other major change to the podcast format this year is I'm nixing the Anchor ads. And instead, I want to just briefly mention my Patreon. It's a space to hear these podcast episodes early, as well as frequent uploads of demos, rough mixes, and other work that I'm doing in my home studio here. Uh, If that sounds interesting to you, um, you can click the link in the show notes or just type patreon.com slash Forrest Cochran into your browser and uh, you can get all that good stuff by just supporting on a monthly basis for as little as $2 or as much as $25. I always say every little bit helps. Um, I'm already making more every month from Patreon than I was on the Anchor ads, so... um, I feel good about that, but I just wanted to grow this community um, as best as I can. And, uh, you know, in in any way that you can help, I really do appreciate it. The next order of business, the last order of business, however we want to look at it, uh, is this episode right here with Brooks Strauss, one of my absolute favorite Iowa musicians, one of the best songwriters probably ever to come out of Iowa. As Brooks mentions in the interview, he's usually pretty anxious at shows, so uh, he doesn't. Al- he's not always so great about talking to strangers. So this was one of the first times he and I uh, got to talk for more than a few minutes at a time, and I think we both had a really good time diving into a lot of different topics here. Um, we didn't get a lot into specific songs from Brooks's new album, Benjamin, but I do think it's in my top five of his records after listening to it a fair bit in the past few weeks. And you can hear Love, the last track from Benjamin, if you stick around till the end of this episode. Um, Before the conversation starts, you're going to hear Standing in the Night, which is somewhat of a straightening the record exclusive, because as you'll hear pretty shortly here, Brooks wasn't as proud of how the album Nest turned out. But I think this song specifically holds up pretty well on its own, and I do like to include a song that's discussed in the interview as much as I can. This month's additions to the featured on STR playlist are Love Me There, from 2015's The Chemical Wedding of Brooks Strauss, and Strange City from the 2011 Iowa City Song Project compilation. Both great tunes, and uh, so if you like to keep up with the different artists who are featured, go ahead and check that uh, playlist out as well. I'll have that in the show notes also. Lastly, just want to say thank you for listening, and enjoy Standing in the Night and my conversation with Brooks Strauss. to say what for and in love a million lies were spoken I don't do that anymore 
so good to see you dude yeah you too how you been um you know i'm <laughs> i'm doing my best obviously everything is weird and i barely get to see anybody ever and uh yeah you know but um i'm trying i'm i'm you know trying to be somewhat productive and uh um keep my head on straight as best i can um 
How about, how about you? Similar? Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's very strange to not have like a like any kind of social outlet. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not normally like a very social person, but like having one or two or three or show four like shows every month, you know. Yeah. There's always people, you know, it's always seeing like people that I have connections to. Uh, and for the last few months, it's pretty much just been me and Angie every day see each other, you know, and that's all. Right, right. Um, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, my roommate lately has been saying a lot that he's he's kind of like you, where he he's a little bit more introverted, but but he uh, but he's been surprised at how much he misses people. But but yeah, I totally get that. How like even if you don't want to be around people all the time, uh, it it can get pretty weird. Um, never having it, and especially with shows being such a big part of your life normally. Yeah. Well, and I've been thinking about it. Like people who are like pretty agoraphobic. Like this is really good for them and really bad for them. It's like. <laughs> allowing their like uh you know issues to be totally uh validated yeah but like you know all the good and bad that comes with that yeah kind of like reinforcing it or like making that impulse maybe even stronger than usual yeah yeah i get a little bit of that but i also like i just know a lot of people who are more introverted than i am which is you know, my heart goes out to him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think maybe you were supposed to play at my house in March. Uh, yeah. With David S. Cruz. Is that right? Right. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I had, I think I might have had two shows scheduled here in March that got canceled. Um, that one and, um, Elizabeth Moen was actually going to play here. Mm-hmm. Ryan, Ryan was supposed to like do a tour with her or something. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just like, yeah, nobody was down with it pretty much right away. So time has gotten so strange cause that feels like it was so long ago and it also feels like nothing has happened since then like it was just a blink of an eye yeah but also like oh that was another lifetime (laughs) yeah it really feels like everything has changed since then you know in a way um but also like you said it feels like nothing has happened at the same time which um I mean, I've always thought time, or I mean, by always, I mean, like, ever since the first time I took acid, I've thought time was pretty wild and weird, Um, and I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Right. There's definitely a a relativity to it. Yeah. You know, it's being dictated by your perception of it. Right, exactly. Like, all the time, people say, you know, like even people who haven't had the uh, psychedelic perspective on it, people say like, oh, it's been a long day, 
you know that's like right. a that's like a pretty common phrase and uh, when well, you just think about like uh being in in a classroom in school and like how long that fucking hour could feel you right. know like that that would be like an hour and it would feel like forever and like now i can just be like scrolling on facebook and be like oh it's been like an hour and a half that i've just been like doing actual like nothing it's like oh like the government actually wants you to die you know like they are actually like actively saying that they just want you to go to work and die yeah um so it like it actually can be worse you know <laughs> yeah so somehow it is getting worse <laughs> Uh, yeah, this, this week has been especially wild in terms of that, um, that feeling of people, the people in power legitimately not giving a shit. Like there's always some degree to which I feel that, but, but it's, but it's been, uh, intensified by the, just this year it's become like so apparent that like the people in our government don't work for us. Right. They're working for the the people giving them money, you know? That's not us. That's not the citizens. That's the corporations. And, like, that's who they're fucking working for. Every action they take, it's for them. It's not for you and me. Like Right. Uh, Despite the fact that our taxes do technically pay their fucking salary. Right. But, you know, they all end up rich, and they're not getting it from that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, God, um, it's a little bit infuriating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, it, it makes me want to talk to you about, uh, power, <laughs> about your, yeah. your, your song that's literally about that shit. Um, but it's also like, there, there isn't really much to dive into there because like, uh, y- you kind of just lay it out. Like the, there's nothing really, um. And I, I think that's the case with a lot of the songs on that record where it's just like, I don't know, like a lot of your lyrics are sort of meant to be pondered and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, interpreted, but like tunes like man and power and trust, uh, those tunes are pretty like, here's what I think about that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like a, simpler album in a lot of ways than the rest of them and that's why it like kind of isn't even really out like I have never been satisfied with it like enough to feel like it's actually even released it was like sort of a tour tape that like mm-hmm. I just never got to like feel like an actual finished product mm. so I think something will end up happening with those songs and they'll you know in some form end up up on you know my band camp discography at some point but i don't i just uh yeah i hadn't even realized that you hadn't put it up there until i was you know looking into uh some of your back catalog this past week uh because i mean i've i've had it for a while so i didn't have to go to Bandcamp to listen to it but um but i was like I was like a little bit surprised, but when I thought about it, I was also like, no, I, I, I think I get it. You know, like not that I think it sucks or anything or that it's not worth hearing, but, um, but I get why compared to like most of your other albums that wouldn't feel as like something you're as proud of. It's, 
it's like the simplicity of the songs called for a simplicity of presentation that I am not used to and wasn't able to nail on the first or second attempt. And so it's just waiting for me to like actually get that done. And I, I'll probably end up re-recording it, re-recording most of those songs with the collaboration of somebody who can give it that like simplistic feel that I haven't been able to successfully accomplish like Mm. with me being in charge of it. Yeah. Um, I I noticed that a lot of your albums you've kind of recorded yourself or like maybe in collaboration with your brother. Um, and th- there's also been a fair few that you've had other people produce, but it seems like the majority of them, at least somewhere in the credits, is Blue House. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm sort of curious as to... Um, how important is it to you to like oversee the the recording process? With most of my records, I have like a pretty clear idea, like as I'm writing it, what I want it to sound like. And as I'm going through that process, I'm like figuring out, okay, well, who can play that? Or like, you know, how can I get that sound to work? Like, how am I going to like compile these sounds and make them all work together? And so by the time I'm to the point where I'm recording, I like know what it's going to be like. I know, you know, how I could accomplish it. There have been like a couple where it's like I'm not there with it or I like feel like it could use another uh, like decision maker mm-hmm. involved. So that's how like. Like, Apostatize was with David Strachany, Paleo. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, like, had offered to record something with me. I had had that batch of songs. Like, most of it was done... Like, most of my first three records were written by the time the first one came out. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of just, like, chipping away at those that, that first batch of, like, 30-some songs. Mm. Uh, and when it came time for the third one, I had done the first two albums and I was just like, okay, this would be a great thing to work on with you, David, because he was in the quad cities. He was recording stuff, uh, at Pat Stolle's studio there, mm-hmm. uh, was working on his own album and was just like, you can come in. We'll have like two weeks of studio time, get the whole thing, just like busted out. And so we like co-produced that album. Like he engineered everything, recorded it all to tape uh, mm-hmm. in Davenport, and it worked great. And it was just like I had been sitting with those songs for years, so I didn't feel like I had the the spark to really like tackle them in a way because I had kind of saved my favorites for the end and then had run out of steam kind of so that's how that worked or like the chemical wedding uh that was pat stolly produced it and it was just like i knew i wanted it to be recorded analog uh i knew that i didn't really have the capacity to get the sound out of it that i wanted uh 
So when you like, I wanted it to be like a fifties record. I wanted it to sound like it was recorded in the fifties uh-huh. and I knew that I couldn't do that. And so I asked Pat about recording it at, at his studio uh, to at least like get the analog sound. And then I was going to, you know, figure out what to do production wise after that. But he was just like, you can come record it here, but let me produce it. I'll make all the decisions. Like, if you just like let me do it exactly how I want to do it, like I won't charge you anything for it. Oh wow! I was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, let's do that. That's kind of that's almost like an ideal scenario, huh? Right. So it like never became the thing that I was envisioning it to be, like as I was writing it, but it became something totally different. And I've been like a big fan of Pat's work since I was like a teenager. He was like one of the first Iowa musicians that I like was really inspired by. So like and his project, the multiple cat was like one of my favorite bands when I was in high school. You know, I've heard the name, but I've actually, I don't think I've ever listened to them. Uh, fantastic. I'll have to check them out. He's also the guy who recorded like most of day trotter sessions. Right. Yeah. He was like the founding engineer there. Uh, was with them for the first few years that they were doing day trotter stuff left for a while and then came back and did some some sessions at the end too i think right on so so in terms of how um how chemical wedding came out then was it weird for you to hear the the treatment that the that some of the songs got like with the drum machines and and stuff like that it's the most uh not like me of any of my records like (laughs) there aren't any of the full lengths that like feel less like myself when i hear them than Uh that one uh but i knew that i trusted him and i knew that i was going to get an interesting result out of it and it's like a record that people really love like i've gotten a lot of really good feedback about it i'm proud of the songs like I'm proud of my performances on it and so it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's not what I was picturing. Mm. Uh it's kind of nice that it is some other thing. Definitely. Uh I think sometimes there's a joy in discovering what a song can be that you didn't even think of. Cuz songs really have a a a way of, of forming into things that you, you that you never intend. Um, <clears throat> at least that's my experience. You know, there's. I think it's only been in the last few years that I've had any concept of how to make a thing sound the way that I want it to sound, and and so yeah, that's like something that I relate to pretty heavily. For sure, I uh, I tend to want to squeeze like as much life out of every song as I can and like really think about songs as like, okay, this is like the solo acoustic version. Okay. This is, it sounds a little different though. If I've got like the, the kick drum and the harmonica on. And then like, I also like, you know, if I've got a band with me, like what kind of band is it? And like, how, how does the song like become something else with that group of people? And like, I always like, there are a few songs that are on like multiple albums because there was just like a different sound that it took when different people were playing it, or there was a different arrangement of it. Uh, yeah. A uh, pair of dice comes to mind. 
Yeah, that's one of them for sure. Uh, I think there was another song from Acid Casual that also wound up on Christ of the Abyss. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on which one it was right now. Please, baby, please don't break my heart. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You could. You could, yeah. Um, yeah, and and it's fascinating because, you know, being very familiar with the Acid Casual versions, I wouldn't have thought there would be any way of, like, improving on those. Um, but I do find those versions just as rewarding to listen to. I thought they were good enough songs that, like, a, like, minimal approach to them would be effective. Because, like, on, like, the first five records I made, everything was just, like, kitchen sink approach. Everything was, like, how many instruments can I fit into this? <laughs> like, how how many layers can go into this to make it indistinguishable, like, what is actually happening musically? Uh, so I think, like, the songwriting becomes a little bit obscured when you when you're approaching something like that. And so mm. with the songs that ended up on Christ of the Abyss that are found elsewhere, it was just like those, uh, those are good songs. And like when I play them solo, like it's just me singing them and like the song is just as good that way. So might as well like put it on this little thing. Uh, Christ of the Abyss, like, that was, like, the goal of it was just for there to be one thing that sounds like me playing a show by uh-huh. myself. You know, people know that sound. A lot of people are really fond of that. Outside of that, I don't have much interest in doing records like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I like being able to come come to it from the back like that made it so that I could just kind of pick the best songs that I had uh, for that. That's a really interesting uh, concept because I think, well, so I've heard some people who sort of think of themselves more as song writers than, um, let's say, band leaders or, you know, whatever, band members Mm -hmm. um, say that, like, a song has to be good enough without all the other shit before they'll bring it to a band or, or like flesh it out that way. But I'm kind of hearing you say that, um, that you always, uh, you always envision it with all of the stuff. And then it's kind of nice if it also works without it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I'm, I'm writing songs so that I have something to record (laughs) is is sort of my like approach like traditionally my approach to all of that stuff is like okay i need to write some more songs so that i have some songs that i can record Uh uh and then i can pick from those songs whichever ones i am actually like able to pull off playing by myself or Mm -hmm. or with a band you know if, if i have a band at that time i can just go through all of the stuff that i have and pick okay, these songs will work with this band sound. And, like, I have a good, like, vision of what this will sound like with these people playing it. Well, that's that's really interesting to me because um, since I have seen you maybe only once with a backing band, 
I like that's that's really interesting to me because I always pictured you as uh, as a person who writes songs to play solo uh, and then just like fleshes them out on a record because you have the luxury of doing that when you're in a studio or or something like that. Um, so it's kind of fascinating that it that it's not that way at all. I don't I don't really enjoy playing shows or like there's a lot of it that is not worth it to me like i get a lot of anxiety i feel like really sick before i play a show uh i like seeing all my friends i like you know when i get done with it and i can just be like oh nice this is the time that i can relax and like there's a bunch (laughs) of people here like this is good but like all the parts leading up to it it's like i kind of dread that i kind of like it's been like sort of a relief through all this COVID stuff to like not have that like regular, like source of anxiety. Uh, I I totally feel that totally different set of of (laughs) sources of anxiety, but you know, probably a lot more intense than that. But when I think about like, Oh, like I don't have to play a show. I don't have to like relearn a bunch of words and like, and like think about like, the ways in which I'm going to fuck these songs up, you know, like for like three days before the show happens. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find that, that you really have to like, um, refresh yourself on your songs like that? You have to like really like study them and like rehash them and stuff like that. Yeah. If I don't, I, I just really fuck it up. And like, I, you know, I've had cavalier moments where I'm like, I played these songs a hundred times. I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to practice. Uh-huh. Uh, I got too much shit going on. Like I'm just gonna wing it, and then I do it, and it's like I should have practiced. This this fucking sucks. <laughs> I'm like ripping these people off right now. I'm looking at these people in their fucking faces and like blowing it. Like oh, they man. paid money to be here, and I'm blowing it for them. Like I totally get that. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> all i needed to do was take like a couple you know a couple hours over the last few days right and like practice and i didn't do it so i i really try to do that now and it used to be that i would do that like when i had big shows and like important shows and like things where like i was getting a big opportunity to play in front of a bunch of people that i hadn't played before like day trotter shows and like big festival shows and i would just like not practice and then it's like oh well that was an opportunity to like make a bunch of new fans and uh i just look like a fucking joke up there so uh so you learned those lessons hard huh yeah um speaking of (laughs) speaking of festivals um i think maybe the first time i saw you was at the hotel fort des moines at uh gdp do you remember that yeah that was when i first uh i think it's the first time that i met the river monks folks i was pretty sure that they played that year too because I had this recollection that maybe that was like the year that Ryan was doing River Monks and Seedlings, and mm-hmm. um, and there was like a poster that Seedlings was uh, selling where they had like drawn with Sharpie on the 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 design that year was like an eagle, and they like drew sunglasses and bling uh, around its neck, and 
I just remember having like the only thing I knew about you was that people said you were good and I had no, I like, I didn't, I don't think I had ever heard anything before. So I like walked into the room and there you were, you know, uh, with the hat and, and the suit and I thought you were a Quaker and, um, and you were singing, I think, okay, when I was like listening back to your old records uh, this past week, I actually had a flashback when My Son Is Dead came on my computer speakers. Oh, yeah. And, and that fucking, like, I was like, what even is happening here? <laughs> and, you know, like, like I, I remember, like, having so many thoughts and feelings all at once because not only are your lyrics... Um, I don't want to say impenetrable, but um, but uh, dense. Let's say dense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also your uh, sort of persona seemed. It seemed as if you you were sort of a scary person, and um, and I don't think that's the case now. But it's interesting to think back. The uh, you know what was that like two thousand eleven or yeah, I think it was two thousand eleven. Yeah, so like nine years ago, and uh, and uh, I don't think you're a scary person now, but but I still am. I feel like very very heavily affected whenever I I see you play. Um, I'm like not a real like. <laughs> it's hard for me to be friendly with strangers. I, I it's hard for me to really like connect with people when I'm on stage. Like it's hard for me to like think of things to say to people so like being somebody who's not really talking and then i'm just like screaming about like really heavy stuff like i think (laughs) like that ended up like intimidating quite a few people like Uh uh-huh but people who know me know that i just like laugh all the time and like you know right uh if i'm if i'm already friends with you you know like i'm I'm not going to be scary because I have right. something to say to you, you know? I just remember being blindsided by the power of, of what you were putting out, just like the very intense vibes, you know? That's um, super nice. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and when you when you say that, that you were screaming, um, I guess like, I guess you do still scream some, but I feel like your vocal delivery has actually chilled out a bit over the years. Do you yeah, think I've I've written a lot of songs that sound a lot better quieter? It's <laughs> okay. a lot of what happened. Uh, like you just didn't feel like screaming that much anymore. Well, and a lot of it also like I kind of switched to uh nylon strings Mm. and so like when i'm playing with that guitar like usually like it's a quieter guitar so it's like i don't have to be as loud over it to like put my voice on top of it if i'm playing a steel string guitar like i'm gonna be louder it's also like you're strumming it so it's like more of an aggressive feeling so i'm gonna like be feeling more aggressive i'm gonna pick more aggressive songs i'm gonna be like Okay. So I think that's a lot of what it is. 
Well, that's that's really interesting. I I wouldn't have even thought of the correlation between the choice of guitar and the way that you sing, but that makes all the when, sense. When Nest came out, I was using the steel string guitar more, and I was playing songs like Power and Man and, like, having to scream those songs, you know, because you're just yeah strumming the shit out of a steel string acoustic, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think my favorite song from that group actually is, uh, Standing in the Night. And I don't, like, I saw you play it a lot of times, so I got to think a a lot about it, you know? Um, but also there's something that's sort of classic sounding about it. Yeah. I wanted Um, to write a three chord like country song you know that like i always like there's a country song on almost every record i made you know and there's like the ep that's all country songs uh eons you know okay but like every time i've done that i like end up reaching a point in the songwriting process where it gets really weird and it's like oh and then you know i had to go to this other I couldn't limit myself to the three chords. I had to put another weird chord in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that song, I was just like, keep it keep it to the three chords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of... It was a simple enough concept, s- sort of, that like it worked well to just feel like a classic country song. So, so did the concept of doing a simple three-chord country song come first then, or... Was it like you had the lyrics and and or the melody first, and then you sort of like said this makes sense with that format? I think I was literally standing in the night, like just out in my backyard, standing there by myself, thinking through, you know, how the world was feeling uh, to me, and just thought of that line and i was standing in the night and i was like oh that's that's good that sounds like it could be like a Mm. you know a george jones song or something like that sounds like a really like classic country kind of vibe so when i sat down to like flesh it out and write the rest of it i just sort of stuck with it that way yeah that that totally makes sense like the line comes and and the rest of it kind of comes out around it and i it was i think like shortly after donald trump got elected and it was just like everything felt so apocalyptic everybody's like demeanors were like dark you know overcast Mm -hmm. and it was just like oh like maybe this you know every it, it seemed like everybody was thinking like oh yeah maybe maybe this is the end of the world (laughs) <laughs> like, we might be experiencing the apocalypse right now. And we've had, like, I think, like, four years of that just, like, ramping up. And, like, mm-hmm. we might be at the peak of, like, oh, maybe it's all over. You know, since the vaccine stuff, like, it's maybe, like, let up a little bit. But, like, it seems like until very recently, it's just been, like, shit, are we going to really see, like, shit go down? Is yeah. like Dread. Yeah. Like are we going to watch it all fall apart? 
Like, is this, right. is this the end of America? Is this the end of, like, all of our lives? Are all of my friends going to be dead, like, soon? Maybe. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, and was was that also kind of what caused you to hold Benjamin for three or four years? Because yeah. I think... Because I think I saw you said something like that on Facebook that like it was ready to come out in 2016 or 2017, somewhere in there, and you like didn't feel that it was appropriate somehow? Yeah, by the time it was going to come out, it just felt... Because it's like a cosmic love record, and it's like I was feeling so like tuned in. To like spirituality and just like felt like I was just like floating through the universe uh and I made this record and was like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever made probably that I ever will make and like it ended up sounding exactly like what I pictured it sounding like uh-huh. it's like very like elegant and beautiful and like spiritual and then like pretty quickly I felt completely detached from that. Uh, oh. And it was just like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know if I am ready for this right now. Like, I don't want to be engaging with this all the time. Uh huh. I would play the songs sometimes, but it was like, do I want this to be my statement to the world right now? Mm. It didn't feel honest. Uh, And now it feels like it's from another time. So I guess it felt like appropriate enough, uh, you know, this year to be like, oh, this is a record from another time when things were not like this. Huh. That's, That's really interesting because, I mean, in a way... I found the songs on from Nest that you were playing frequently in those years of like 2017, 18, 19 to be cathartic, but I'm I'm curious what it, what it would have felt like to hear to hear Benjamin and have that sort of uh I don't know, because sometimes, don't you think sometimes people need, uh, like, to to be shown that there might be, like, a, 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 not a silver lining, but, like, I don't know, just to hear something that isn't dismal when they feel dismal? Does that make sense? I think so. And I, you know, I, I think that's what finally happened now. But if mm. it would have come out in 2017, it's like three more years of like increasing feelings that everything is over and that everyone's going to die. <laughs> you know, like it just didn't feel like, oh, but here's this light at the end of the tunnel. Like now just like sit with it for a few years. Okay. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean for sure. So, so did so did the songs that wound up on Nest kind of all come out as a result of you not feeling honest about releasing something so upbeat or so uh 
spiritual or whatever did those I, all just like come come out and then or did you feel like you had to like force that out or so i didn't really realize what was happening like i didn't know why i didn't feel connected to benjamin or why i was like standing in the way of benjamin coming out mm. uh, but i did spend the last four years like only writing songs about the end of the world and so like <laughs> nest was a result of that uh uh-huh. there's there's stuff uh like spectral snake songs that are a result of that it's mm-hmm. like the only thing I've felt inspired by or connected to as a songwriter during the Trump presidency has been like monsters and death. Like, yeah, the, you know, the actual end of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Um, and, and I guess the, the other kind of follow-up to that is that with um, the fact that, I guess, since Nest was the last solo thing that you put out um, before you bringing Benjamin back, uh, has most of your creative energy been going into Spectral Snake and kind of cultivating that um, that world? Yeah, and, like, that was easier... Um from a creative standpoint, because, I mean, partly from me and Angie being able to collaborate on all of it. So it like, it took a lot of the pressure off. It didn't feel like I needed to be making like this grand statement that was like a reflection of like how I feel in these moments. It was like, Uh okay, we're, we're starting a new, new band. Like we've got like, you know, it's a horror band. It's all like, songs that are stories like like you would find in a in a horror anthology or something you know so we can just explore all these different little things and just like in speculative fiction it's all like metaphors each thing is about something else so like that felt really rich and it felt uh different from the kinds of things i had been exploring before kind of liberating even yeah uh so we spent you know, a couple years working on our full length. We, you know, we did our EP really fast and then recorded a whole album, uh, had a hard drive crash, lost everything, re-recorded the entire thing from scratch. Wow. Uh, over the course of a year. And now we've been done for, I don't know, six months or maybe even close to a year now. I don't know what, uh, sort of towards the beginning of COVID we like Uh, finished recording, uh, and mixed it. Uh, and now it's like mastered or like very close to being mastered. So Mm -hmm. it should be out pretty soon. Cool. Uh, But yeah, that's been a really, I haven't been able, like, I haven't felt inspired to, like, write any solo songs, like, pretty much all year. I don't think I've written a solo song this year. Wow. Which is the first time that's happened since I was a teenager, probably. 
Do you think that a part of that is is the the feeling of isolation um, and like not not being out experiencing things, um, or or is it like just that your energy is going into this other project, so you have to like exercise that first before there's room for it? I think a lot of it has to do with like. I think when Spectral Snake started, it was kind of a release. Like, I don't have to put as much of my mind and myself into, like, my own music right now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once the pandemic stuff happened, it was like, oh, I don't even have to think about my music. I don't have to play a show. And it was like, oh, I, I don't have to do this at all. And I just haven't been doing it all, at all. Like, I've tried to play in the last few weeks. I've, like, tried to play songs of mine. And I was like, I don't remember any of my songs. I oh, don't man. remember one of them. Uh, and it, like, it kind of feels uh, liberating in a way. Like, that feels like, oh, there's, like, no pressure now for that. Like, I know that I'll sit down, you know, write a set list, figure out, you know, how to play those songs and play a show again, you know, Mm -hmm. at some point next year. But like for now it feels like I'm free. I've been working on a visual art a lot, like during the pandemic and just been able to like that urge to make records is like so much like making visual art, you know, like when you're, putting down when you're layering sounds it's like layering colors and shapes you know it's the same kind of thing you know yeah uh and the writing you know i've been like writing comic books and trying to write and make comic books for the last few months and like that's a different kind of storytelling a different kind of writing and so there's the outlet for the writing and then like i get the same kind of thing out of making visual art that I get out of recording. So like it kind of has, you know, filled all those holes for now. That's actually really cool. Uh, Do you mind if I ask what the comic book is about? It's, uh, so the first one is short stories about um, a pair of philosophizing warriors uh, traveling through a magical land and getting themselves into trouble. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Are you um, illustrating it as well as writing it? Yeah, I've got like a couple pages mostly done and like a few scripts finished and it's been fun. Cool. So is it, uh, do they actually, they, they like fight as well as philosophize or? Yeah, yeah. Or, okay. They, they usually try not to fight, but like if you're, you know, a powerful individual wandering through a dangerous world, like you're going to have to fight sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Doctor Who, but we don't have to go there. Um, I, I love Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I I think uh, I I've been revisiting that uh, lately because I got HBO Max and I and I think that uh, I sort of forgot about the aspect of of his character where he actually like tries really hard not to kill stuff. Right. Uh, Star Trek is another thing where it's like it's it's a pacifist story, you know, and it's like that's kind of nice. There's a lot of violence in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, that, that ends up happening. You put a bunch of monsters and like you know, warlike people around. You're gonna end up having to fight sometimes. Yeah. So, do you have a, a history with being into comic books, or is this something that you sort of became interested in recently? I I got into comics before I got into music. So, like fourth and fifth grade, like I started collecting comics, and like through high school, like. I was kind of like split between like wanting to like draw and make comics and wanting to do music. And then like around when I was like 18 or something, I mostly just put like visual art and comics on the back burner and have just been concentrating on music since then. Mm. Uh, but you know, every couple of years I have like a spurt of doing a bunch of visual art and like this year has just been an opportunity to kind of like dive back in, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of great, and I'm really excited to hear the uh, Spectral Snake record because I I imagine recording something in its entirety twice means that you've got a lot of that stuff pretty dialed in. It was amazing, actually. Like I I've actually recommended it to people, like. Once you get your record done, throw it in the fucking garbage and do it again because it's amazing. <laughs> wow. It feels really good to like uh, to try to figure out how to get back to somewhere that you got to the first time, you know, and you like have the experience there to like put into it. I, I felt... Uh, I felt really good about it actually and it was so heartbreaking and so like tragic and horrible <laughs> yeah when we lost it uh i i imagine like y- you were just devastated i'm yeah. sure there were months of like not making any music because it was like oh man like it's all gone like everything <laughs> everything's gone like do it, you know, when are, when are we even going to do this? You know, like, and you know, for, for a while we didn't even have a computer. So like, Mm. it was like, we can't do it. And then once we got a computer set up, it was like really slow to get going on it again. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, okay, I'm going to do another, you know, 50 takes on this guitar part. And I have to like learn it again first, you know, and then, and then play it however many times it takes. And then do that another, you know, several hundred times for all the other instruments that I have to play on it. So, so it wasn't actually easier the second time, even. No, but it was. <laughs> I knew what it was supposed to sound like, so it was like it was interesting, and it was like it ended up sounding better, you know, because instead of trying to figure out what it was supposed to sound like none of my attention was going to that. It was all going to like 
how do I get back to it sounding like the way that it's supposed to sound or like what was wrong with the first time that like mm. I didn't actually accomplish when we, when we did it the first time we had mm. like rough mix, rough mixes of everything. Sure. So we had lost like all of the multi-track stuff. There was no way to like go back and listen to indi- individual parts, but I could listen to the whole thing and be like, okay, I think I, I think I can tell what I was doing there. I like all of this stuff about it, but there's this thing that I don't like about it. And it was recorded kind of shittily. So I'm going to, you know, do a little, something a little different with my mic placement, you know, or like I'm going to change the room up a little bit and get a little better sound out of it. Sure. Like just making those kinds of little changes are things that I just like normally would not do. I'd usually be like, it's, it's good enough. I'm going to fix it during the mixing process. Mm. Uh, move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, yeah, since you've been on and off recording yourself for like, I don't even know how long, 10 years, 15 years. I started uh, recording myself with two tape decks when I was 14 years old. So that was in 1995. So I've been doing this for 25 years. Wow. So, so have you, I mean, like, I guess, I guess it's not even a good question to ask if you've learned a lot because of course you have. (laughs) Um, But, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm curious if what, what like sort of, recent breakthroughs you've had with that since since you sort of have the the process of self-recording a record so close in the rear view every every project if you like are trying to accomplish something new with everything you do every project is going to be like a big learning experience i think a lot of times people figure out what they need to know and then they just repeat it because the, mm. then they don't have to learn new things. But uh, I I don't feel good about that for what I do. Like, I'm always trying to explore different things. I'm always trying to, like, find something I haven't done or find something that I haven't done as well as I think I can do it and figure out how to take that extra step and, like, get somewhere Definitely. else. So, like, the last few records that I've made have all been, not all of them, they've mostly been big steps forward with, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of, like, uh, new tools to put in the tool belt, you know, with each thing. Uh, Nest was mentioned earlier and is, like, the example I can think of of, like, I didn't accomplish that. I tried to record that record. I tried to record a very simple record really fast before I left on tour and I didn't get the takes that I needed. I didn't get the, I didn't make the engineering choices that I should have made. Mm. And, uh, I didn't have enough of a like view arrangement wise of how to make those simple songs work in those simple forms on a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess knowing that stuff now, like I can look back on that. I, I have that understanding about that record. So I did, I learned quite a bit from making a record that I don't particularly like. You know? <laughs> sure. I guess I was, yeah, I was just curious uh, if there was, aside from that you highly recommend now throwing out an album once you finished it, 
if there's anything that that like felt like a breakthrough with with the spectral snake full length um i think it's just building on things because like i learned so we did uh with this like instrumental psychedelic rock project called the chocolate hog boys that i have been a part of over the years Mm -hmm. like we recorded an eight hour album like over the course of like a year where we were just like spending like an hour two hours three hours recording every single day for Uh like a year and from that i like learned so much about how to get the sounds i wanted and how to like play the way i wanted to be playing and i used that for benjamin and like benjamin was great like spectral snake is a lot more like uh the old scratch revival singers or like my my early solo albums it's like spooky folky music uh so i was able to take those things that i learned about like making rock and roll and making you know like record making from those things that i did in the previous couple of years and apply them to that sound. So that was like eye-opening too. And then doing that twice <laughs> was a little extra learning on top of that, you know. I, w- I would definitely like to talk to you again after the Spectral Snake record is out because I really, really like the songs. And I think that... The, between the EP and the full length, um, it will probably deserve a conversation of its own. Yeah, for sure. It would be uh, interesting to have Angie along too, because she has a very oh yeah definitely uh, definitely experience with all this. Because this is her first band. Like she's only been writing songs for you know a few years, and like mm-hmm. had never been like had never made a record before. So like it's been super interesting to like, you know, uh, help her understand some of the, the ways that the things work and then just kind of see her perspective on all of it because it's, uh, it's so different from somebody who just like has internalized all of it. Like, sure. Over the course of, over, over the course of 25 years, I'm sure there's a lot of this stuff that you take for granted now, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and, and she I like always has new ideas and like different things, ways of looking at stuff that I wouldn't have thought of because I am just, you know, in my, in my tracks, uh, mm-hmm. that I've been cutting for 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really, really excited to have that conversation in, you know, six months or a year or whatever it nice. is, um, <laughs> as well. So, uh, I guess I I kind of do want to touch back a little bit on Acid Casual, even though that's like a really old record and you're probably not super excited. No, that's great. I love that record. And I was just thinking about that record like pretty recently because uh, I think it's like it has a unique vibe. It was like done in a period of time where I was... Uh, I was making great strides. Like I learned a lot of things making that record. It and it, it landed with people. I think like a lot of 
a lot of people think that's my best record and like I see where they're coming from with it. I think it's definitely in the running. Um, especially from a production standpoint, I think I, I listened to it with my dad a few days ago and like he, I don't think he had ever heard it before or if he had maybe once. And he said it reminded him of like pet sounds. Nice. And, and, um, that was a thought that I had had, you know, independently before as well. Like there are certain, uh, instrumental choices or textures on that record that, that, um, yeah, just like, I feel like that's pet sounds is the only other place that I've heard those textures. And I'm curious if that was, uh, maybe like a specific goal or choice of yours, or if that was sort of a happy accident for that's, one thing. That's been a goal on like almost every record that I've made and like, uh-huh. uh, the old scratch stuff and like the, you know, most of the solo records that I've made and like the spectral snake album that we just got done. It's like, I'm always thinking of pet sounds. I'm always like reaching for that. It's like the unattainable mm. thing that you can always be reaching for because you're, ne- <laughs> you're never going to get it there. You know, yeah. like you're never going to make pet sounds, but like nobody else is either. So if you're reaching for that, like you're probably going to end up uh, with some interesting results. Yeah, that's true. Um, man, I need to try to make a record like Pet Sounds. Um, it, so, obviously, we, we did touch a little bit on Pair of Dice earlier, um, and I feel like that is a song that, in addition to you having it on two different records, so obviously you recognize that it's a pretty strong song, um, it, you know, it's been in a lot of your sets over the years, uh, do you have any idea what it is that like feels so good about that song? I think it's just, uh, it's, it's like pretty simple, you know, it's in a major key sticks pretty close to, uh, you know, the kind, the kinds of stuff you'd expect out of it. Uh, and it it has kind of like a relatable feel to it uh, in mm. in the chorus, you know, like you can hear it and think, yeah, I, I think he, I know what he's talking about. And then in the verses, it's like, no, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. Like it's <laughs> it's so like obscure and like strange. Like I'm not totally sure what it's about. It's probably some kind of like cult ritual kind of stuff i think but like yeah uh i think just that combination of like yeah i know what he's talking about i don't know what he's talking about is like (laughs) uh it's gonna grab some people you know and it's got like a good catchy feel to it it feels like it's a real short song too there's only two parts Uh uh-huh like i think it just feels good and it's fun to play. It's a really good like opener. So I play it, you know, first at a lot of my shows. Cause it's like, yeah, this is, it's catchy. It's short. It's going to get people's attention. It's going to make people mm-hmm. feel good. It's going to make me feel good when I play it. I, I imagine having something like that where you can kind of rely on it 
would would be nice too because you, because like you can come out the gate with a song that you've been playing for so long and that you probably is a little bit easier to bring back from from the depths of your memory for sure uh and and that you know that people will sing along and that people will be kind of hooked in and excited when you play that um obviously like not a lot of people who are on the local level have legitimate hits, but I think you do have a hit there. Um, because I, I feel like I know a lot of people who sing along with that song. Yeah. Yeah. I think early on it was the fall. Like I would play the fall at every song or at every show. And like mm-hmm. people were singing along every time. Uh, and then, like that's off of apostatize that's like a mm-hmm. uh one that I still play sometimes but it was like that kind of personified that like gloomy folk era and then when I kind of switched uh you know between apostatize and acid casual to like more of a psychedelic folk sound like mm. paradise came out as like the the one to latch on to from that from that era totally uh yeah and i think it does it sort of um encapsulates what you're about in a way you know uh the fact that like obviously you have an affection for uh pop hooks and um a a respect for that like aspect of songwriting craft but that you also strive to uh challenge the listener in terms of uh uh, lyrical content and and uh and maybe make people guess a little bit i think i think it it, it's it kind of has it all wrapped up in there yeah, I think there's there's like magic and poetry and darkness there and like that's what I'm kind of always going for or like, you know, most of my songs have mm-hmm. pieces of that in it. Uh and it's just like a very simple uh way to put that out there and it makes sense that like that uh is a good representation. Um, especially for that, you know, I feel like I've gone through, you know, like Benjamin is maybe a, a different era, but it's like mm-hmm. the start of a new one. Or maybe like that one and The Chemical Wedding kind of have some similarities, but like, I think, uh, like Acid Casual was originally supposed to be a 23 song double album. And oh, there really? was, like, a 23-song version of it that, like, a lot of stuff that ended up on Renaissance Beast was on. Like, I was... Acid Casual was, like, the the acoustic, like, psychedelic acoustic stuff. And mm. also, like, diving into the, like, kind of, like, dark world electro kind of stuff that ended up on Renaissance Beast. Uh, and I just split them into two records. Yeah, probably a wise choice. Twenty-three songs is quite a quite a lot 
uh, to listen to right in a row. Um, not was, that I would It was a lot of work but, to, to get there. And I knew that if I just cut it down to one album, I would get that done. And then I could like take another year to get the other half done. Mm. Oh, that makes a lot of sense too. Just just wanting to make the chunks more manageable yeah. to work on. Yeah. Um so the other thing that I that I kind of wanted to ask about um because I feel like a lot of your uh lyrical content has to do with like mysticism and and or like arcana. Um and and specifically, uh, um, I've noticed that you use the the phrase uh, the goddess a lot. You know, you reference the goddess a lot, and um, and also the moon, mm-hmm. um, which feels tied in because because I feel like in a lot of uh, mythologies, the moon is like a matriarchal god. Um, I'm sort of curious where where your interest comes from with that stuff so i spent a few years being like a pretty devoted moon worshiper and just like uh got pretty good at um at worshiping the goddess that is the moon and it was very fertile ground for songwriting and uh i got a lot of good songs out of that and i learned a lot about how to live my life from that like i uh i studied a lot of mysticism i put a lot of things together um and had a practice that worked for me and in the last few years have not felt as connected to that, have been living more of like a secular existence uh, and feeling good about that also, you know? Mm. Like I've been able to take all of the spiritual things that I learned and uh, apply them in a secular way and sure stay happy and connected and uh positive not as positive as i was then uh i feel like i spent a couple years just like floating and like Mm -hmm. i i don't have that feeling anymore um which is totally understandable in 2020 for sure um but yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's something that sort of intrigues me, and it's not something that I know a lot about because it feels uh, obscure. Um, so yeah, I was just sort of curious if there was any of that 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 you could elaborate on. But if it's too big of a question, I I understand. So I personally just took from everything I could. Like I was reading a lot of like Eastern mysticism. Uh, like Rosicrucianism, Kabbalah, like Crowley magic stuff, like taking from everything I could uh, Mm -hmm. and putting together everything that made sense to me and seemed to be applicable to my life and my personal practice. Uh, 
and it was very effective. It worked very well for my life at the time. It's not like, I think we can get really cosmic, but it's very hard to stay there and coexist with humans in a modern world. Mm. Like there are other people around you. And if you're living, uh, in a different reality, uh, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do, you, you have trouble connecting with people when you're on a different wavelength that way. It's like, I, I wasn't bothered by that, but, uh, I, I don't think it's easily sustainable. Um, cause you have to go to work, you know, you have to, right. You, you have to do, you have to put gas in your car, you know, you have, you know, like, it's like, you can, you can try to be a guru. You can try to just like levitate all day long, but you're still going to have to go buy some groceries. You know, you're still going to have to, uh, get on the internet and talk to somebody on Facebook, you know? Yeah. For me, like a lot of my practice, a lot of like what I was looking at was rooted in uh, like paradox. And like that's a lot of like what I was mining for the material in my songs. Uh, like Zen koans are, you know, that's Zen riddles where, you know, the, the Zen master tells you this thing that's supposed to just break your brain. Uh, he asks you a question and you have to like, let your brain be broken by that question. And then you are enlightened. Uh, and the idea of the moon and the goddess as like a trickster, like trying to make your brain go in two different directions. Like that felt like Mm. the, the highest spiritual practice to me. Um, and I still use that every day, you know, everything I encounter, it's still like, okay. And how do you, how do you break your brain with that? (laughs) Like, what is the, uh, um, what is the paradox in that? Like, what is the, cause yeah, I guess that's, that's an interesting thing because I know I've heard you, I don't know if, if it was in lyrics or in another interview or what it was, but, uh, I know I've heard you talk about, um, you know, absolutes as not, not being applicable, you know, which is something I, I agree with as well, but, but it was something that I think I came to from psychedelics. Um, Every person is creating their own reality. Everything that we experience is being filtered through your senses uh, and being filtered through your brain and the way that your brain is wired, the way that you happen to be raised. Like, everything is chance, and it's all, like, being filtered into you, and then you build a world from that. And that's happening in every other person's body. Right. Uh, And if you can't jump out of where you are and see that in all the people around you, you're going to be very frustrated, you know, like one (laughs) of the only ways to find peace in this world is to be able to say, Oh yeah, that's their reality. Oh, that's what their reality looks like. Okay. 
Right. As in, like, I can't possibly know what everybody else is uh, experiencing and and how they're going to uh, process these things. And, like, you know, a lot of that, like, people want simple solutions. People want, uh, they want absolutes. People with a lot of money want to think they earned that money, you know? They want to think they deserve to have that. Uh, And they can't handle thinking of a reality where it just was chance and they lucked out. Like, Mm -hmm. they, everyone thinks they worked, uh, they worked hard and were given the proper reward for it, you know, if they, if they feel good about what they have. Mm. Uh, a lot of people are feeling like, well, I did all this stuff and I didn't even get what I deserve out of it. But really, it's just like everyone is uh, just being thrown around by circumstance. You don't have any choice in being born, and then you have no choice in who your parents are or like the right. way that you're raised, like the things you're exposed to. You have no choice of the way that your brain is wired or like the, the, way, the ways that uh, chemicals travel through your mind, you know? Uh <laughs> Right. There is no choice. There is no free will. But everybody wants to latch onto that and feel like they have some sort of like, oh, I'm dictating my life, you know. I'm, you know, I have good taste and that's a reflection of who I am, you know. It's like, <laughs> no, no, your your brain is telling you what appeals to you and like that that circumstance. Yeah. Uh I agree with with yeah a lot of that. Uh, I I think it's yeah you can't you can't possibly have control of everything. There are certain things that you can have control of certainly, but mostly it's just how you respond to to the the stimuli or the circumstances. Well, and I think there's no there's no guaranteed control. You can try to guide things the way that you think they should be guided. You can try to you know, you have a fork in the road in front of you. You can look at that logically and think you're taking this one path uh, because it's the right thing to do. But there are no guarantees in any of that. Right. It just seems like a good idea at the time. And it's being dictated by what kind of brain you have. Yeah. Which you didn't make that decision. Right. We don't guide, right. We don't guide that part of our lives. So there's no reason to have attachment to your identity. There's no reason to have attachment to who you are or to be proud of good things you've done or ashamed of bad things you've done. Uh, outside of just, like, trying to coexist with people. You know, like, there is a reason that we don't do bad things, and it's so that we can coexist with other human beings because that's the way that we thrive the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know... You should try, you know, keep reaching for like making better decisions and like, you know, always be trying to not hurt other people, you know, right. Try to try to make the world good for you and the people around you, because that's gonna uh, be the bet. Like that's going to be the easiest road for you to take. That's going to be the most rewarding in the end. Uh, 
you're going to run into a lot of problems if you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that actually feels like a really good place to, to, to close out. Uh, if that's all right with yeah, you, that's good. I, I think that feels like a really wonderful, um, place to leave it. Um, but aside from that, um, to, is there any, anything else that, uh, you know, obviously people should listen to your music on Bandcamp and whatnot. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about that? Uh, anything else you want to tell people about before, before we, uh, close this out? No, not right now. Like Bandcamp is the best place. It's most effective for me, you know, especially now. I don't have any shows to plug, you know. Uh, right. And can people order stuff from you on there or is it purely uh streaming and downloading? I'm so bad at sending things. I just don't even offer it anymore cuz at times that I have I've just fucked up over and over again. So I try to just not even offer to send people things that I'm not going to send them. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Very good. So, uh, brookstrauss.bandcamp.com and spectralsnake.bandcamp.com. Yeah. We'll get those links in the show notes. Uh, Brooks, thank you so much for talking to me yeah, tonight. Thank this you. Is- this was a really good one. It was like probably the most comfortable interview I've ever done. So, Oh, I love to Thank hear that, you. man. That is that is like the best compliment to get. Uh, I appreciate it so much, and uh, and you're going to be the first episode of 2021. So nice. let's hope let's hope that it's a good way to start the year, and that it's a good year after that. Yeah, too. yeah, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thing that I 
the most difficult of lessons that was ever taught to me is if you love her, set her free, that that is how love ought to be. Never seen intention ever go as it was planned. We know that this is more complex than we can understand. I've had enough of crushing pretty flowers in my hand. That is 